0: Uh, it's my uh, pleasure and honor to be with you this evening. My name is Nick Lannon. I'm the Associate Rector of St. Francis in the Fields Episcopal Church in Louisville, Kentucky. I've only lived in Louisville for a few months, so I'm not sure yet if it's Louisville or Louisville or any one of the other several apparently appropriate pronunciations of the word. And I was thinking um, Matt asked me to, to introduce myself a little bit because he wasn't going to do it. And he's, he's put me in a little bit of a pickle because the first sentence of the sermon that I have prepared this evening is, remember Tanya Harding? And I don't know that there's a smooth transition between me and Tanya Harding. Um, we couldn't be, well, I was going to say we couldn't be more different, but then I thought to myself, unfortunately, Tanya Harding and I have more in common than you might think. You, of course, will remember who Tonya Harding is. She's the figure skater who, before competing in the 1994 Winter Olympics, allegedly, <coughs> she did it, um, <laughs> had her boyfriend hire a friend of his to break her main competitor, Nancy Kerrigan's leg. And years after those Olympics, which she then lost completely, and she had a complete um, breakdown, and Kerrigan actually ended up winning the silver medal in those Olympics, if you recall. But years after those Olympics, I saw Tanya Harding on the Hollywood Insider talking about making a comeback. And as you might imagine, it was actually very sad. She was much heavier than she had been. She was, of course, older. And uh, she was sort of having trouble skating. And of course, they were sort of highlighting this. She was sort of oblivious to the larger tone of the interview. She was making all these proclamations about how she was back, and they were interposing these with f- footage of her trying to skate and barely being able to ch- ch- jump off the ice. And it's sort of a really sad thing to see. And the final sentence of Tanya Harding in this interview on the Hollywood Insider was, I'm not a loser. I'm a winner. I'm back. Cut to commercial. <laughs> Sort of, uh, there has never been perhaps more of an obvious loser than Tanya Harding. Except me, that's what she and I have in common. Um, (laughs) But I just remember sitting on the couch in shock that someone could be sort of so disconnected from the truth of their situation. She was not a winner by any standard definition of the term. She was in fact a loser, and she was... By no means back. So her three statements were all false, and yet she seemed to believe them with all of her heart. And this is why, though I was saddened, I feel and felt then a real kinship with Tanya Harding, because I'm a loser too, but I don't want you to know it. Um, I will do anything, in fact, to convince you that I'm a winner, that I'm... I will argue for myself in the same strong words that Tanya Harding did. I will do anything to plead my case, to convince you that I'm a winner. There's another sort of classic example of this in a film that I uh, highly recommend called Murder Ball, which maybe you haven't heard of, um, but it's a t- t- documentary about the, the United States national quadriplegic rugby team. This is a thing. Um, quadriplegics who are in wheelchairs and have um, some impairment of all four limbs. That's why they're called quadriplegics. They play rugby in wheelchairs, and the sport is called murder ball because it's so violent. They sort of ram into each other, and they're sort of, in a sense you might say, overcompensating for the weakness that they feel. And the opening scene of this film, which is sort of incredibly profound, is the captain of the United States National Quadriplegic Rugby Team getting dressed. And there's no music, it's totally silent. He's in his room, and he's sort of pulling on his clothing, one piece at a time. And as you can imagine, it takes forever. And the camera just sits there. And you're sort of forced to sit there with it and watch as he struggles with this thing that you and I do without thinking. And then in the very next shot, after we've just watched this sort of incredible show of what can only be called weakness, there's an interview with this same man who tells a story of how almost every night on purpose, he goes out into the world and tries to get people to fight him so that he can prove how tough he is. And he laughs at those who don't want to fight him because he's in a wheelchair, And this is the Tanya Harding principle at work again. We who are weak proclaim our strength most loudly. We who feel like failures proclaim our victory most loudly. This is not, unfortunately, foreign to our experience, you and I. We may not be figure skaters, we may not be quadriplegics, but we often feel weak. We often feel like failures and we often pretend that we're strong we often pretend that we're winners we might say that tanya harding's proclamation i'm not a loser i'm a winner i'm back is our rallying cry of life it might as well be emblazoned over our headboards at night right i'm not a loser i'm a winner this kind of self-promotion, though, is completely foreign to what St. Paul is talking about in our reading from 1 Corinthians that we read this evening. He's talking here about wisdom and foolishness. He says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? He says, for since In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God decided, through the foolishness of our proclamation, to save those who believe. That's powerful stuff. But of course, as often happens, I don't know if you find this to be true, Matt, but we sort of stop the reading a couple verses before it gets to the punchline. And I actually looked it up. I'm not stealing from your sermon next week, I promise. It's not actually until like um, Epiphany of year A, so you've got several years to pr- prepare your sermon that I'm now going to steal from you. I'm not preaching nice to <laughs> Right. <laughs> but if we were to read on just a couple verses in our reading from 1 Corinthians, we would get the climax of what Paul starts to talk about in our reading. And he says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world, to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. This is what God does. This is his M.O. This is how he acts. He chooses as the raw material of his work the things that do not have the characteristics he needs, right? If God wants to create wisdom, for the raw material, he chooses fools. When he wants to create some strength, for the raw material, he chooses weaklings. When he wants to create saints, he chooses sinners. And in the most compelling example of all, when God wants to create life, he chooses dead things as his material. And to put this in theological language, he, he imputes, he, he ascribes qualities to a thing that it does not naturally have. Right? He looks at weakness and he ascribes strength to it. He calls weakness strength and makes it so. He calls foolishness wisdom and makes it so. He calls death life. And makes it so. There are two classic examples, both in Scripture. The first is when the Lord promises Abraham that he will make many nations from him. And Abraham, it says, believed God, and that (laughs) belief was reckoned to him as righteousness. He wasn't any more righteous on one side or the other, but his belief was credited to him as though he were righteous. And then the second example is in Romans chapter 3, where St. Paul writes that now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ to all who believe. Right? So, did you hear in the first sentence it says, the righteousness of God, right? God's own righteousness. And in the second sentence, this righteousness is given through faith to those who believe. The very righteousness of, Christ, of, of the Lord, his own righteousness, his holiness, is given to those who believe, who don't naturally possess that kind of righteousness. They are given a righteousness that is God's alone. Now you've all heard the phrase, God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you there. You've all heard this in high school. This phrase is not about imputation. He loves you too much to leave you there implies that God is sort of not satisfied with how you are. And he's going to work on you, work with you to make you the better person that he'd really prefer you to be. He loves the potential he sees in you. He gives us the ability, we might say, through Jesus' action on the cross, and he provides us with a handbook, the Bible, to get better. What would Jesus do? Right? This is how we improve. I recently heard about two ministers having a conversation. This really happened in real life. This was overheard. Minister A said to Minister B in a very concerned way, but what about those people who claim to be Christians who just aren't living it out. I'm sure you've all heard this question asked. And Minister B, after a moment of thought and in a moment of inspired brilliance, said, what, like you and me? (laughs) Right? There will always be Christians who don't live it out. Like you and me. Christians for whom a what-would-Jesus-do bracelet, which ought to be worn as a reminder, turns into a cruel judgment, right? What would Jesus do? Clearly not what you're doing. There will always be Christians like you and me who just don't live it out. We need more than what would Jesus do. We need what Jesus has done. We need imputation. We need a righteousness that is given to us not a righteousness that is expected from us. We read this list of attributes of St. Paul, and tragically, it fits us to a T, right? God chose what is foolish in the world. He chose what is weak. He chose what is low and despised, even things that are not. This is what I feel like in the morning. Even things that are not, things that are low and foolish and weak and despised. We might as well go on, right? Things that are hateful, angry, selfish, unrighteous, unsanctified. But somehow, miraculously, in this passage, St. Paul turns these attributes that we'd like to get away from, right? Like weakness and foolishness and despisedness, and he turns them into a good thing. Tanya Harding wants to say, I'm not a loser. But Tanya, we should say, God chose the losers. He chose the foolish. He chose the weak. He chooses the unrighteous. And it is from this raw material that God does his work. Material like Tanya Harding, Like you. And like me. In Romans... St. Paul says that while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to him by the death of his son. He's making the same point here. God chooses his enemies from which to make his friends. Enemies are the raw material he chooses when he wants friends. When he wants strength, he chooses weakness. When he wants friends, he chooses enemies. He chose us in our foolishness in our weakness, in our sin. In fact, it is in our sin that Christ works. So God loves us just the way we are? Well, that's not quite right. He loves us on account of Christ. Christ's own righteousness, credited to us. He loves us because of the way Christ is. It is Jesus who is our wisdom, who is our strength. It is Jesus who is high and exalted. It is Christ who is righteous and sanctified. He is our redemption because in that awesome exchange on the cross, He who knew no sin was made to be sin. Our sin, we might say, is imputed to Him. He knew no sin, but He became sin for us so that we, the sinful could become the righteousness of God. That trade is everything. His sinlessness for our sinfulness. His goodness for our badness. <laughs> it's this cosmic trade that allows Paul to say, let anyone who boasts, boast in the Lord. Whatever good exists in us, whatever love, whatever peace Whatever, whatever selflessness exists in us because of the imputed, the given, the credited righteousness of Christ. Given to us on the cross while we were enemies of God. While we were foolish, while we were weak. This is the word of the cross that Paul says is folly. Foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. And it truly is foolishness. This is ridiculous. God chooses the weak and the broken, and then rather than just loving them that way, and rather than fixing them, actually regards them as perfect, even as his son is perfect. The very people who voted 100% to zero to crucify him are the ones perfected, By his sacrifice. There was never such foolishness as this. But to us, the ones who are being saved by this foolishness, it is the power of God. Praise God that he chose the weak, the foolish, the worthless, and the unrighteous. Because it means he could choose us. Praise God that Christ's righteousness, Christ's perfection is given to us in that moment of utmost folly, the crucifixion of our Lord. Praise God that in that folly, the power of God is revealed, and we, you and me, the foolish and the weak, are saved. Amen.